Welcome everyone to another episode of Simply Sales and Marketing. Today is with myself, Sam, and with Rob. And we've got a really Hello. special guest today. Oh, hey Rob. Um, we've got James Feeney with us. And James Feeney is a, a bit of a legend within the sales industry. He's a sales leader of 20 plus years of subscription sales. Actually got a period doing marketing as well, where he's actually previously my manager, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> and um, now he's running an outsourced sales team as um, the managing partner at Alliance Sales Support Services Limited. So gone from in-house to managing out-house. So really interesting stuff. So first of all, welcome James. Thank you very much. Hi guys. Welcome, James. Um, I've always called you Feeney, so um, I might continue if that's okay. Yeah, um, we're amongst friends here, Rob. We're amongst friends. <laughs> awesome. You you also happen to be pretty much the nicest person I've I've ever met in sales. Uh, so I guess my first question is: Do do you find that helps or hinders you as a salesperson? I throw it right out there. I don't know how this reputation has, uh, has carried on, but. Uh, uh, I think on balance it helps. No, I'm sure it does. Um, as a salesperson, I think um, being nice in inverted commas, I just, uh, the right word for it is empathy, if I'm, if I'm being honest. So the, the fact is, if you're an empathetic person by your nature, which I consider myself as such, it means I'm consistently thinking about how other people feel. And that, that goes all the way through into how you sell. So if you, if you, you know, have empathy for how someone feels at a certain situation, if you try to understand the problem it is that they're trying to fix, mm-hmm. um, then I think that kind of rings true with everybody, right? They they want to talk to you if you feel like you understand where they're coming from. So I'd say I'm empathetic rather than nice, but I suppose you could use it the same thing if you had a thesaurus out. <laughs> um, I think one thing I will say, though, is as, as a sales manager... I've also been deemed as very nice as a manager and that does bring more of a challenge and I think again on balance if you're a nice manager an empathetic manager if you understand the needs and wants of your team your sales team or your marketing operation then I think you get loyalty you instill a sense of loyalty which is really important because turning over of staff is an absolute nightmare yep. by the same token though I think you get you can get walked over a bit you know people take advantage and I think that's that's the harder part about being overly nice you've got to know where to draw the line and I don't think I always get that right if I'm honest I think you're always fair I think it's harder you can't be too nice right uh, I don't know maybe yeah, you can maybe you can and I think I've always worked with other people that, that there's like a bit of a yin and yang so if I work alongside somebody else sometimes not necessarily bad cop and good cop but I think there's a place for both and it's very rare I think that one manager can be both you know the good cop and the bad cop they're either swing one way or the other so mm. most people would come to me with the, the stuff that's really troubling them I think and then I think I've got a sense of loyalty from them but I've definitely been taken advantage of people would uh wasn't was about to swear but then realized we're on a podcast so um <laughs> you fine. know we'd, we'd take the you know take the piss basically by just pushing you that bit far just because you were yeah. uh, like that but in sales i think if you come across as somebody who cares then i think you're going to go a long way yeah i'd agree i think it's nice to see emotional intelligence as being you know looked into and looked after a lot more i think it's something that's becoming more and more important so yeah couldn't agree more i think it's important in marketing and sales to understand your audience understand your team because if you don't you're as you said you're not going to connect with anyone and you you know can't get anything kind of pushed through absolutely Um, on that note what what got you into sales where did it all begin where did it begin (laughs) right 
Where do I start? Yeah. It's weird. it's actually weird because I don't know if you know this, but I I always wanted to be a, a copper. I wanted to be a police officer, oh. and uh, so uh, there is going to connect. I'm going to connect these dots in a minute. So I was went to, to uni and decided to study criminology mainly because I was pretty rubbish at school, uh, but I wanted to know about people and to know what made people tick. And criminology is basically psychology and sociology combined, but looking at the criminal justice system. So I was fortunate enough to go to uni, came out with a degree, was just about to go into Hendon where they train you to be a police officer for the Met and my dad was like hold on a second I've just spent an absolute fortune on your education you should have a little look at this thing they call the city this is 20 years ago now uh, and I think you can make a, um, a, a ton of money so I did I walked into the doors of Euromoney about sort of 20 years back and basically got the job almost on the spot and it's really hard to go back from that so I landed in sales almost by chance I didn't set out to be a salesperson and nearly every person I've recruited over the years I don't think intended to be a salesperson especially when I'm grabbing them straight from the university years and I think a lot of people like that they fall into it but they all seem to have something in common which is they like people they kind of are interested in people and what makes people tick and that's that's kind of why I think it went well with me. It's super interesting. So talking about your time at Euromoney, many years ago, before the birth of what everyone now calls ABM, which is uh, account-based marketing, you, you were known as the key account king. For, for those listening, that, that ultimately that's what we were doing in account-based marketing many years ago, 10 plus years ago it must be now. So what would you say is the secret to enterprise selling? Yeah, uh, we had so many different names for it, key accounts. Uh, oh, the worst one was corporate access program, which is cap and everyone kept on yeah I know and everyone kept on trying to throw an R in there somewhere uh, between the C <laughs> you get it anyway yeah it was it was something that we I think we were quite early adopters of it's really very normal now if you walk into any big publishing company they all do enterprise selling as a, a, a as the done thing consistently but it was quite new back in you know 20 years back so the secret to it I think if you if you come from the view that no man is an island type thing right that there is never I've never met anybody who needs to buy a subscription I'm mainly talking about subscriptions here. You, you never buy a subscription just for you. You always need it for a collection of people. You're always part of a desk or part of a team or part of a company. Um, that seems massively obvious, but if you go in with that mindset rather than I just want to sell this one single subscription to this one person, then I think you go in with a really positive mindset of how can I help your team, how can I help your crew, and go from there. So I think that's the first thing. But definitely for me, I was always interested in the analytics and I was one of the first people on the sales side who was, at Euromoney anyway who was I did a lot of that with you Rob actually you know yeah. just we cared about data we cared about usage and what looked like a good prospect what looked like a prospect who was maybe you know using the product too much maybe they were doing something naughty maybe they were not using it enough maybe we needed to think about how to get them using more and we used that data to upsell, to cross-sell. And, you know, and back in the old days, remember, when it was just magazines, there was a circulation list that was stapled to the front of a magazine, like something like Euroweek, back in the day. The librarian would get their one subscription for the whole of HSBC, and they would literally write a list by hand of all the names of the people that was allowed to get that copy, staple it to the front, and then you'd cross <laughs> your name off as it would be passed from person to person. So I almost felt like I was, you know, looking at this list going, there must be an easier way. We have got a thing called, like, a 
website, I mean, that was around. We could get people to use it online and we could get them all to have their own subscriptions. And it was this kind of eureka moment, which made us a fair few quid along the days. Mm. So, yeah, that's the secret, I suppose, is it data and knowing that everyone needs more than one. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Because the ideas have, have not changed, but obviously the technology, you know, and, and as you say, the data and the analytics and everything you can do around it has. It gives you so much more information now. Absolutely. I mean, I think you said it also, you know, you, you used to really be interested in, in the data and the analytics. And I think that's why partly it works so well, but also what got you into working really well and really closely with marketing. And Sam and I have worked with you and, and you've actually ended up managing both the sales and marketing function. So how was that? And, you know, we always talk about sales and marketing alignment. How do you think it's best to, to integrate them? I mean, it's it's so important. I have to say, the day that I started to run the marketing function um, for, for the businesses that I was working with was one of the scariest days I had. I kind of, I felt completely unqualified for it, if I'm honest. And I was had great people around me like Sam, um, you know, who was working in my team, who knew tons more than I'd ever did about marketing. I wouldn't know how to send out a campaign, things like that. But then I sat down with some people like you, Rob, and others and said, well, hang on a minute. It's all the same thing, right? And you understand marketing. You understand it as a very, as a concept and as a function and how it integrates with sales. And it, from that point, I think it clicked. And that word integration just really resonated with me. And I think I made sure that we wove the two together. Like even even from a geographical perspective, we sat the salesperson next to the marketing person mm. because it is the same thing. You just you line it up, and we come running in with our on our white horse and and um, and close them all down. So we're the heroes, but really we're only acting <laughs> as we being the salesperson. But you know we're only acting off of what we've been delivered by a really good marketing function, and it's it's incredibly frustrating when people don't recognise that because that's how you make all your money. Right, so I'm being overly passionate about it, but that, that's how I genuinely feel, and you know, a lot of gratitude to both of you really for helping me kind of understand the importance of linking the two. I suppose reassuring me that just because you can't send out a campaign on HubSpot doesn't mean you can't do marketing. I suppose. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, on that, I don't know if you agree, Sam, but by the end of the process, I felt like sales just generally knew so much more about marketing the sales people knew more about marketing and marketing knew more about sales so it was yeah. all really like teaching one another yeah i've always said it's it's kind of one voice that your, your user your client the, the company you're targeting they see you as one company they don't really care where the message is coming from who's sending it if it's via outlook or hubspot or marketo or anything it really is just kind of pushing that one message across and being really consistent so yeah i, I was i was quite pleasantly surprised you could see all the sales people picking up marketing terms getting involved looking at campaign analytics asking about open rates whereas beforehand it was very much they've made the sale they've got the money in and all of the thanks and praise went to them and the whole marketing process yeah wasn't really kind of highlighted or actually looked into Absolutely. and I was going to say one point you were saying earlier on kind of looking at data and data is kind of the oil it's the lifeblood of marketing and sales the sales in particular is there's a lot of new kind of sales tech which is coming out there's thousands mm -hmm. of vendors now and previously you know we had the MarTech boom Scott Brinker in terms of MarTech vendors but also yeah sales tech is you know thousands of thousands of kind of new bits of tech are coming in and off the back of that and tech and data i know working at the moment one personal frustration that you get is the tool's only as good as the data you put in and mm. the frustration that can happen with sales and marketing is that the data going into your crm or your salesforce is, hasn't been properly formatted they're not putting the data in which can always be a big issue or they're not actually registering any of the calls or any of their logs so on that on that kind of line what 
what kind of key frustrations have you seen with sales and marketing? And you can't steal that one, but have you? <laughs> Which one's yeah, you no, I share that one though. I mean, yeah. you could do a whole podcast on CRM <laughs> and, and how it isn't used properly by sales, you know, yeah. and, um, but that's a one for another day. I think the main frustration is, is almost when they don't do what I've explained helps, which is integrate the two functions. So I've, you know, I was working with a business, you know, one of the businesses I work with where I could clearly see it, actually I helped integrate the two businesses, the marketing and the sales part they've kind of unbundled it again now and it's frustrating to see because the right hand isn't talking to the left I can see that already they aren't you know the guys are just executing on leads that they see in their system they have no literally no oversight or no uh, collaboration with what's happening right at the top of the funnel on the marketing side and the marketers aren't talking to the salespeople. so I know I've already said it but if you don't talk to one another call it integration call it whatever you want but if you don't see it as the same function with just two different ways of doing it you're going to fail I think yeah absolutely couldn't agree more so when looking at I know we've mentioned you're in kind of an outsourced um, sales agency or sales company at the moment but you've also worked in-house you know you've been we're saying about Euromoney um, InfoPro you've been dealing with the weeds in-house and dealing with them outhouse, even though that's probably the wrong term what would you say is really kind of the key differences between the two and why do people use outsourcing and how does it help now that you are a managing partner the managing partner is very grand uh, <laughs> I'll leave that bit out but um, uh, <laughs> I think that's the joys of having your own company you can call yourself what you like oh, yeah. really. <laughs> uh, so it might change on my business card most weeks um, I mean your main question is is what I think the difference is between you know managing an outsource function and not and I think that just generally about outsourcing I need to almost be slightly political because in my company that we try to see there is no real difference between it okay so if you choose the right outsourcing partner you know, for example, an example is mine, would be a suitable partner. That is the key word. Outsourcing almost doesn't really get used as a phrase for us. We partner with publishing groups where they're at a stage in their life where they know they can't quite um, do everything it is that they need and want to do in order to deliver what they have to deliver and meet the targets they do. They don't necessarily have the capacity, the bandwidth, the budgets to constantly hire internally and everything that goes with it. So we become this safer option but it's, it's quite scary right if you it's scary for a company to outsource anything it sets what sort of precedent does it set for that company they're concerned about that if they're outsourcing something the people that work within the company if a load of people are being their roles are being outsourced to you next type thing so I, I get it but I think that when you come into a partnership with someone like us and you realize that we're we are interested in all of all of the parts of someone's business that falls between the cracks so where you for example events delegates acquisition work is a big part of what Alliance does you can't really plan for anything especially in this strange world we're in now even though we're emerging from covid it's still planning for an event is hard so do they really want to beef up a massive delegate sales team internally so we become that comfort blanket really and a partner that means that outsourcing isn't as scary and i think because we're nearshore because we're close it's not like you're sending everything to a faraway land that you never ever get to speak to we're right around the corner i've done 20 years in this in in the business so i think maybe that's more unique to us I don't want to be a shameless plug for me but that's why I suppose there are others that exist like us you know for balance that outsource stuff but nearshore it partner it things like that that's I don't know if that's answered your question Sam yeah no yeah no absolutely that's great you you know I think the key word you said it a couple of times was was partnership right because that's what people worry about with outsourcing is that perhaps they're not quite invested from from what I know you run it as you did with sales right With, with empathy and you want to work you want to understand their needs and work with them to achieve it and and you've even told me at times where plan was to 
build a team for someone, train them up, get them working to the point that they almost no longer needed you. Absolutely. And if they want to use us as a bit of a, a training ground, I'm open to that as well. It's about helping them get to where they need to be. And sometimes that means a long term person staying under reliance all the time. Other times it's just moving into the business in which we were helping. Yeah. So I think both uh, things definitely, definitely work. So 20 years, you said, quite a long time in sales. Obviously, it changed a lot, but also hasn't in the ideas. I mean, what do you see is going to have the biggest impact and, and the biggest change uh, in the coming years? For sales specifically? Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard one, isn't it? That, And I think Sam will like this answer because it's technology. I think it's got to be that i mean we're i think it's a bit of a cheat answer because it's an obvious one mm. but if we look at how we sold 20 years ago and how we sell now it's vastly different and that's all because of the technology we have going back to how we use data to sell i think that i'm quite interested in in how people consume content i've worked with some really bright people like you, both of you guys and others over the years as to how people should be forced almost to use content and that's what publishers sometimes can get wrong you know we're trying to push everybody to your website probably because history would have dictated like traffic mean is really good but isn't yeah. it just more important that your content is being read and read by the people you want it to be to, to you know to be read by so as an example I'm, I like XML feeds and those sorts of like arrangements that we started to work on with big investment banks where they you know there's these two of the biggest trading platforms they don't need me to to give them a shout out as to who they are but you know you're either on one platform or another if you're trading at an investment bank yeah. um, if you can integrate your content with a platform like that so people are consuming your data your news your information in real time because it's part of their workflow that's not something to be scared of as a publisher that's something to yeah. embrace as long as you police it as long as you contract it up properly and, and critically as long as you commercialize it right so that you charge correctly for it they will pay banks yeah. will pay handsomely for that because they want an easy life right yeah I remember we used to try and force people to click through you know the amount that you would have in an email because it's it's better tracking it pushes them to the website not caring whether that's actually how they want to consume the content or not Absolutely. adding an extra layer in mm. and there's a good insurance brand we've worked with for years who yeah who they were really or the people only wanted to read their newsletter but yeah. they would pay loads of money for it and they'd pay handsomely for it and but we, we were obsessed with trying to get them off of the newsletter because it could be forwarded around and getting onto the website but yep. I don't know in hindsight I'm just not sure that was the right move like we've got to give mm -hmm. it give the content in the way that people want to consume it so I've gone a bit in a bit of a loop there but I think technology will have continue to have a massive impact i think people need to be open-minded as to how they sell content particularly um, and not force people to have to consume it from a clunky website that we keep building you know? yeah I, I completely agree i think one thing that we don't do in marketing that we've stopped is just looking at eyeballs on pages That's kind of an outdated concept now you know you start to focus on the high quality users how you're connecting with them and yeah. building up that audience and that advocacy rather than just saying you've had 500,000 views that doesn't mean anything to many people unless you're old school advertising but so that's one thing you know we're stopping a lot of just looking at page views and impressions what would you say stop in sales tomorrow if you had the power and authority to banish or ban one thing or process that currently happens <laughs> scripts <laughs> get, get rid of scripts <laughs> i absolutely bloody hate them like just for full transparency do we use scripts uh possibly yes we do have them but i'm trying i try to get the sales reps away from them as quickly as possible i think it is something that is probably needed as part of an onboarding 
recording and a training session but scripts can make you sound so robotic as a sales rep and it's mm-hmm. all the stuff we talked about earlier about trying to connect with the person you're trying to sell to understand how they feel listening to what they're asking like sorry listening to what they're saying how can you do that if you've just got a list of questions that you're trying to get through in that exact order I have I literally would burn them if I could so let's stop those <laughs> and uh, maybe have briefings instead we call them briefings at Alliance and it's um, I don't think we've invented the word briefings for full transparency <laughs> but I, I think we just want to get people to understand what they're selling and conceptualise it and then we help them build email templates so you don't really need a script hi it's James Feeney I am calling from Alliance sales support I'm already bored so get rid of <laughs> yeah. scripts please done done it's done they're gone they're gone we'll stick to briefings <laughs> thank instead. you very much thanks <laughs> yeah. um, finally we ask everyone who comes on just for a bit of practical advice for the audience could be advice could be a tip could be an account worth following outsource everything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. great tip yeah yeah uh, anyone in particular <laughs> no I couldn't possibly comment uh, but you might put a link on this uh, podcast because that's what it yeah. does I think I, I'm going to have to end with the way we started I think because if you invest in your uh, this is a, not one practical thing maybe Rob so apologies for that but if you if you invest in the people that you have you invest your time in them your emotion in them then you'll just get a better sales force and I think the reason why I've had a decent time of it over the years is because the people I've managed to find have stayed with me and it just helps because I don't really know how to do it on my own so people who just don't treat their staff well people who they just they never stick around and you get no sense of loyalty and the turnover is horrific so yeah I think look after yourself that doesn't mean have to pay them more money just keep an eye on them keep yeah. in touch with them and then you'll be invited to their weddings yeah. <laughs> great bit of advice I mean you're you're definitely not the first person to have said to basically invest in people invest in yourself invest in people so yeah, yeah. and it doesn't have to be financial Rob for clarity it's like money is, is a, almost a lazy way to say oh this might be a problem with a particular staff member this goes across all disciplines I'm sure they're not always looking for money they're looking just for something else and if you fail to recognise that you're going to be poor pretty quick because you're going to keep throwing money at a situation that yeah. it won't fix so. Yeah, agreed. I think there's many different types of carrot these days and just throwing money doesn't always help. It could be more responsibilities. It could be working on a different product or the learning and development that we need to start focusing on because you're at your job a lot of your life. So make sure you're enjoying it rather than just being paid for it. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on, James or Feeney or um, yeah. Sales Maestro. And no, re- really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you very much. Well, thanks for inviting me, guys. It's been a real pleasure.